right, uh, let's go ahead and open in prayer before we get into the word tonight. I want to pray especially for Pakistan. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we remember our brothers and sisters there who are suffering in Pakistan. And Lord, we pray for your grace. Lord, we pray for your mercy to be upon them. Lord, as they celebrate victory over death, Lord, unfortunately tonight they've lost a lot of lives. But we know, God, that those who have passed have not died. Lord, no, you are the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in you will never die. So we know, Lord, that they are with you tonight, and we thank you for that, that death cannot hold us down, that you've conquered death. So we thank you and praise you for that, but we do pray for those injured. We pray that for those who have been separated from loved ones by death, that you would comfort, show mercy. And Lord, I pray that your church would explode in Pakistan, that it would grow greater and greater, and that uh, these terrorists would not be able to to have any influence or sway over your people and who you're going to save. And we thank you that the victory is yours. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Tonight's message is uh, entitled The Walking Dead. Now, I already know what you're thinking. You're thinking of a popular TV show about zombies. And uh, although I know it's similar to that, uh, I, I didn't really intend to do that. But at the same time, I think it's worth thinking about this whole idea of the resurrection and uh, pop culture and what we think of, 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 of zombies and new life after death and all these sorts of things. And we know that Jesus Christ has conquered death and we're excited about that. I, I knew, do know that there was one line from uh, one of the seasons, I think it was season two or something, they were at this farmhouse and, and uh, one of the older guys who was uh, in the show was supposed to be a Christian, he makes a comment to... The, the main star of the, the show, he says, I always knew that there was going to be a resurrection, but I didn't think like this looking at all the zombies. Now listen, I want to tell you something. There is going to be a resurrection, and it's not at all going to be like that. No, we're gonna, it's going to be a better resurrection, and the first fruits from the dead is Jesus Christ. So if you want to know what you're going to be like, know Jesus Christ in the Bible. I'll tell you that right now. Second thing I want to tell you, did you know that over 50% of Americans believe in ghosts? I, I mean, that seems like kind of a high number, right? Especially for a society that is, is turning more towards atheism, turning more away from, from spiritual things, and, and really what happens is when atheists decide to become atheists, they're, they're really just functional atheists. What I mean by that is they don't really believe in atheism. No, because they just want to say they're an atheist so they can go do whatever they want to do. And maybe you're in that category tonight that you're an atheist because you want to do whatever you want to do. Or, or maybe you're an agnostic because you just want to say, I don't want to claim any knowledge of that, nor claim that there's any way to gain knowledge of the afterlife or God or, or salvation or any of these sorts of things. And you too, it's an excuse to say, I don't want to believe in Jesus because I want to go live how I want to live. But, but more and more Americans are actually leaning towards spiritual things, even though Science is screaming, or I shouldn't say science because science isn't screaming it. Scientists are screaming in evolution and that when we die, we just cease to exist. But the funny thing is, more Americans are believing in some sort of an afterlife. The fact is, is the world is hungry for answers. They know that this life is not all there is and they know that when they die, 
They don't just cease to exist. And by the way, have you looked at the statistics on death lately? I mean, seriously. Do you know that one out of every one people will die? Each and every one of you will die. What? Well, not really if you know Jesus Christ, right? We just talked about it. But this body, unless the Lord comes and raptures us, hallelujah, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> that will be, by the way, the best ride ever. Um, but if, if, unless the, if the Lord tarries and we do uh, on this life see sickness or death of some sort, we actually won't see it. We know we just go right to be with the Lord. Everybody left sees it. They're left seeing death. But, of course, the person who believes in Jesus will never see death. Death is a reality, though. And, you know, we all know the old, old title that there's only two things for sure in life, death and taxes. And, uh, and, and that's a, that is a reality of life, that death is always haunting us. Death is always nagging at us. And we don't want to think about death ever, which is amazing that a show like The Walking Dead has gained so much popularity because it's all about dead zombies, you know. And, um, but we don't want to think about it. In fact, one of the things I think we all hate to do is go to funerals. It's probably one of the worst things we can do because inside the room, it's this weird, awkward thing going on because it's like a family reunion meets the grave, right? You, you come into a room, there's a, a dead person in the room, this body, and everybody's like, oh, hi, Aunt Susie, I haven't seen you forever. How are you doing? And, and everybody's talking, and then you sit down, and you start seeing the picture show slide up, and, and then tears start coming out because you remember the life of that person, and you, you start to grieve, and we hate death because death makes us think that someday we will be there too. Well, I want you to know something. Jesus Christ has made it possible that you don't have to ever know death. We're going to be looking at a passage today in Luke chapter 24. So if you'll turn there to Luke chapter 24, and we might have a few issues today. We updated ProPresenter, and it's, it's got uh, a little different layout, so, so you have to bear with it. But the safest thing to do is just open up a good old-fashioned Bible, get it open on your lap, Luke chapter 24. We're, we're on the Resurrection Sunday. Now let's, let's look at verse 13. Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here and there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. 
Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they even seen they, they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. May God has blessing to his word and give us understanding tonight as we get into this. I want to start by looking at just the very first part of verse 13. That very day, what very day? The very day of the resurrection. That's what what, uh, Luke is telling us. That same day of the resurrection, we have two disciples here on their way to the road, uh, on their way to a town called Emmaus, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. Now, these disciples are not part of the the 11. Now, there were 12, remember, but Judas went and hanged himself. So we have the eleven. And, and these 11 were left, and, and we know that these two disciples are not part of that 11. They're very possible are part of the 72. And you're like, what, the 72? If you remember, before Jesus went to the cross, before he got to Jerusalem, he actually sent out a missionary group of 72 people. And, and you can look that up later on. But whatever it was, we know they were followers of Jesus. Cleopas, we don't really see anywhere else in Scripture. Some people think it's the same person as... Um, the, the Mary who was married to Clopas uh, that's mentioned in the cross at, at the, the crucifixion scene. <clears throat> we don't know that. But we do know they're followers and we do know they're in tight with the disciples. We know that they followed Jesus all the way to, to Jerusalem. We know that he, they followed him all the way to the cross. They must have seen the triumphant entry and been there saying, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest. And they were there when he was being crucified. We know that. And here they are leaving Jerusalem on their way back home, wherever that home is. We, we don't know for sure. But these two disciples are clearly defeated. They, 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 they don't see any hope in what's happened. They're sad. They're beaten down. And what they thought was the hope, Jesus Christ, is now dead in the tomb in their understanding. The amazing thing about this, though, is if you look at what happened previous in Luke, and we, don't, we won't read it all, but previously in Luke, we have the women going to the tomb first thing in the morning and discovering the body. Now, everyone knows that women are not reliable witnesses in the first century, okay, not today. In the first century, okay, <laughs> I would never say that. Don't tell my wife on me. In the first century, women were never considered reliable witnesses, which, by the way, is one of the amazing things about Jesus Christ. He, had, he allowed Mary to sit at his feet and be a disciple when Mary and Martha were serving. That was unheard of. And then, of course, the first people to discover the empty tomb, women. And there they are on their way to serve Jesus. And by the way, men, I just want to make a note of this. Have you noticed how women are always usually the strongest servants in the church? Men, step it up. Let's be men. Be of good courage. We love these passages about going to battle and stuff, and we're like, well, there's no battle to fight, so I'm just going to sit here and watch football, you know. But 
seriously, when you look at the women and the way they serve, and even today I see that in, in church, men are always the slowest ones in jumping into serving in church, ministering to others. It's usually always women who jump in and they're doing, doing, doing. And by the way, men, I know some of you are strong servants and I, I don't want you to think I'm judging you. But I want to encourage you men, be leaders. Be leaders in the church. Be leaders in your household. Be devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. But anyway, that was my side note. Okay, we got off topic here. So the women go to the tomb. They discover Jesus. They come back and they tell the the disciples, the 11. And and we know that John and Peter took off racing to the tomb. And, of course, John lets us know that he beat Peter in his gospel. He's like the one whom Jesus loved beat him, beat Peter. Uh, Just kind of. Throwing that out there, he's a faster runner. But anyway, they get to the tomb. Peter sees that Jesus isn't there. And then it says in verse 12, but Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The word marvel is like wondering, questioning. Same word, same thing we use the word for today, marveling. What, uh, gee, I just don't understand that. How does that Google thing work? You know, or, or whatever else you marvel at, uh, whether it be technology, uh, whether it be uh, whatever it is you marvel at and just want to know, well, I don't understand the pieces go together. Strange. Peter's there at the tomb marveling what had happened. Now, it shouldn't have been a surprise. Jesus had told them. He had told them multiple times, three times definitely, very boldly that he was going to Jerusalem he was going to be get arrested, that he was going to be handed over to the Gentiles, that he was going to be crucified, and that he was going to raise from the dead. He told them multiple times. But the disciples were like, every single time Jesus had told them about what was going to happen, their response was like, huh? And, and the, 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 the gospels always tell us that they, they didn't understand him and they were afraid to ask. Every single time. But Jesus had told them this was going to happen. Yet we know that they still don't totally believe that it happened. The, the disciples are the best witnesses. And, and these, these resurrection appearance witnesses are the best because they're the people that least believe that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. They're the ones that were, had, to, had to be convinced the most. And so Jesus appears to these two disciples on this road. And imagine this walk, seven miles. And by the way, I'm sure once they realized it was Jesus, they were probably really bummed. Because, I mean, if you're walking with somebody forever and you're just like, hey, hanging out, talking to da and then you find out there's someone of notoriety or like, you know, somebody famous, you're like, oh, man, there's so many other questions I would have wanted to ask, you know. But um, I don't know, this never happened to me, but I'm just imagining if it happened, it'd be really cool. So, but, but, but we see that Jesus drew near to them. That, that's one of the first things I want you to look at. Jesus drew near to them. Isn't that what God's been doing the whole time in the entire Bible? God created man. He set man in the garden. Man sinned. God created provision. God continues reaching out to man. God gives promises to man. Jesus was given, born uh, in incarnate, Jesus is reaching out to man. That's what God does. That's why we say, for God so loved the world. And when I say world, I don't mean just in general, the world, the trees and plants and all this. No, I mean you. You, each individual, God draws near to you. 
God wants you to know his truths. God has gone to great lengths so that you too will share in a resurrection. That you too will be able to defeat death and have victory over it. God has gone to great lengths and he's drawing near to you. The question is, will you allow him? Will you allow him to draw near to you? Or do you want to run away and push him away? No, not now, God. Not now. I'm too busy doing my stuff, whatever that stuff is. I'm too busy being me. I don't want to answer to you, God. No. Listen, draw near to God. He's drawing near to you. Let me encourage you, don't wait. Don't put off time. Do it now. You just don't know that day when you will be your last day. Not to mention, you don't know how much God will bless you right now and how much he will change your life right now. He will give you new purpose, a new view, new vision, all if you draw near to him. So Jesus drew near to them. Now the disciples, they don't believe it. And look at verse 21 real fast. In verse 21 it says, as, as they're talking about what had happened, by the way, they're, they're sitting here and they're saying, when Jesus says, what things have happened, they're like, are you kidding me? How do you not know this? I mean, Jerusalem wasn't a huge place at this time. It, 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 you're talking a, a town much smaller than Orange. And, and things go around Orange pretty quick. Have you ever been to the street fair in Orange? Isn't it amazing how many people you see that you know? Like you're walking around like, oh, hey, I know you. Oh, I, I went to high school with you. And I, I went to high school in West Anaheim. My wife went to high school in Garden Grove. And we see people that we known for years, and, and you just run into people. Well, Jerusalem wasn't a big place. Everybody knew about the triumphant entry. They would have heard about it. They would have heard that, what, Messiah's here, Hosanna in the highest, what? Oh, this is a big deal. They would have heard about the trial. They certainly would have known about the crucifixion. Wait, people are being crucified on Passover? How are the Romans going to do that? I mean, it's not okay to leave up bodies through Passover. They need to take them down before Passover, I mean, they would have known it. And, it. and we know that it was at the times that the lambs were being sacrificed. So there's a, clearly this, this air of death in the air, this stench of blood, and then those three being crucified out there. No question they all knew about it. And so Jesus says, what things? And, and these two begin to explain to him. Notice what they say about him. In, uh, sorry, not verse 21. Look at verse 19. Jesus Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, uh, and word before God and all people. Uh, chief priests crucified him. Go to verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Now, it's interesting. Usually when I pick out a particular word, I, I do it because of the Greek, not because of an English, English translation. But I do want to contrast it with something. These disciples still are having trouble recognizing who Jesus is. And maybe you too tonight are still having trouble recognizing Jesus. What I mean by that is they say he was prophet, mighty indeed. No, 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 Jesus was much more than a prophet. I mean, he did say he was in the same line rejected like the prophets of Israel and all that sort of stuff. But we know that Jesus was much greater than a prophet. And he showed himself greater than the prophets and greater than the law on multiple occasions not to mention that time that he told the paralytic, drop through the roof on the mat, your sins are forgiven. And they said, what? He can't forgive sins. That's not blasphemy. And they were so angry with Jesus, and Jesus says, oh, okay, hold on. I know what you want to do. Which is hard to do. Say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. Well, it's, um, I don't know. 
Bill, what do you think is harder? I don't know. Um, well, it's kind of harder to say you rise up and walk. I mean, we can't really see forgiving sin. Jesus said, so that you will know that I have authority to forgive sins, rise up and walk. And that man gets up and walks. Okay, well, that was, hmm, don't know what to do that. Jesus showed multiple times that he had authority over the law and the prophets. But this word hoped, the KJV, the King James, and, and by the way, I think the King James is a fabulous translation. Don't get me wrong. But the King James translates that word, they had trusted that he was the one to redeem Israel. And the reason I want to bring that contrast is there's a huge difference between hoped and trusted. Hoped is, gee, I, I hope that'll work out. A lot of times we turn hope into like a magic lamp or we're wishing really well for you. Or uh, like, I hope I win the lottery or I hope I do this or I hope I do that. And there's really no substance to our hope it, because it's just like uh, it's well thinking, wishful thinking. Trusted, on the other hand, trust is a very different word. Trusted means that I believe this to be true, so therefore I will act. Now, when the Christians say that Jesus is our hope in the resurrection, that's how we mean it. We actually mean it in the sense of trust. We mean we believe Jesus to be the resurrection, so therefore I will act that he is. I will believe in him. I will trust in him. So, but this word here in, uh, in uh, verse 24 is definitely not trust. They had hope. They were wishing that he was the redeemer, the one to redeem Israel. And by the way, he is. Think about it for a minute. They were waiting for him to go into the praetorium, kick Pilate out, kick out all the Gentiles. But that was never the plan. The plan was always to redeem the world first, to ransom them, to buy them back on that cross of Calvary, to atone for them. The word atonement is a rich word, and it really has the sense of that you are pleasing God, meaning that you are you recognize that there is a debt owed for sin and sacrifice needs to be made or that debt needs to be paid. And so, so to atone would be to, to pay that debt off, to appease God in a sense because he's holy and righteous. And then it also has this idea of an expiation, a removal of sin, a cleansing, and a new person coming out. So Jesus atoned for us on that cross and if Jesus says, it is finished on the cross, it is done, the work is done, why is there a need for a resurrection anyway? I mean, Paul actually tells us that if the resurrection didn't happen, Christians are to be pitied more than anybody on the face of the earth. Because if the resurrection didn't happen, we are still dead in our sins and transgressions. Now, the resurrection is very important. The resurrection is the promise of our regeneration I'm sorry about that. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection shows that you can be born again. That there's promise of a new coming. You and I, when we trust in Christ, we don't always feel new. In fact, we still struggle with sin we still struggle with worldly attitudes and all these sorts of things. But, but we trust in the resurrection. And because of that resurrection, we know that we 
are, are uh, born again. We are born anew. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that? From God's perspective, you are raised up already. From our perspective, we don't see it quite yet. But in God's perspective, the work is done. Jesus has not only died for you, but then he has conquered death, raised up a life. He, him being the first fruits, has ascended into heaven, and you and I who trust in him are raised up as well. We're done. It's done. It's amazing how God can do a work and say, it's done. And we're like, oh man, I feel like I'm still struggling here. Listen, it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. He did what you couldn't do. So trust in him. Don't try to make it about you. You'll fail. Colossians 3.1 tells us, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated um, at the right hand of God. Our mind and our attitude begin to change because we recognize that Christ has been raised from the dead. And then, of course, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's Paul's prayer. And he actually says that I may know the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. So Jesus' resurrection had to happen. Christ's resurrection ensures our justification. <clears throat> Christ's resurrection ensures that we will receive a perfect resurrection body as well. That's the promise of the resurrection because Christ rose from the dead. You and I too will rise from the dead. You and I too are seated with Christ. Our place is secured. In a way, it's like having an invitation. An invitation to a wedding. And when you go to weddings and you show up, some of you guys' weddings, when you show up at weddings, you're like, oh, I hope I get to sit with my friends. You know, I only know certain people here. And you're like kind of hoping. And when you get to the wedding, you see the name on the table. Or, oh, you're sitting at this table. And you're like, oh, I don't know anybody at that table. And, and your first thought is what? Well, maybe we can just say hi to the bride and leave. Right? <laughs> That's like most. Um, I'm just kidding. But it's true. All right. <laughs> but, but. When we're, we're, we're kind of afraid of like sitting with everybody we don't know. So, but the, the point of it is, is not who you're sitting with, but it's the fact that you have a seat reserved. The bride and groom have said, you are important to us. We have placed you in a seat. And hopefully they thought about who you know, but you never know. Um, it's a chance for you to witness, right? My wife is like, oh, don't put me in strangers. My wife is a real introvert. And then she's got me. Hello. So, uh, so <laughs> we went to a wedding one time, and uh, the the bride and groom. I, I'm just gonna say I'm gonna call them out who they are: Bill and Lauren Diver. We we sit at this table, and and actually all of our friends are at other tables. Okay, Corey was at, who we knew was at another table, and and we're sitting at this table, and I'm like. I'm going around going, okay, like, why am I at this table? I was just kind of trying to figure it out and piece it together how this whole thing worked, if it was random or if it was purposeful. And so uh, I'm, I'm introducing myself to each individual at the table. It turns out uh, they're all coworkers of Lauren. And, and uh, then we get to talking, and they, they, find, they want to know about me being a pastor. And then I started asking them what they believe, and they're all unbelievers. And I realized, I see what Lauren did. <laughs> So I start talking with each one. And then my wife's like, 
I was so bored the whole time you were talking. I'm like, I was, and, and she's like, but I can't be mad because you were sharing Jesus. But I was like, then why are you mad? Because I can't be. I'm like, uh, anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, but the point was, is we had a seat at the wedding. God has reserved a place for us in heaven by Jesus Christ. It's reserved. The question is, will you claim it? Will you claim it? Will you trust in him? Will you believe in him? Will you turn away from sin and trust in the power of his resurrection? See, unbelief is always the symptom of a failure to recognize Jesus. All of our unbelief, it's always a symptom of our failure to recognize Jesus. I mean, when you think about the, the, the gospels, every time there's a problem, it's a failure to recognize Jesus. Who's walking out on the water? It's a ghost. We're going to die. Oh, it's Jesus. That was weird. Right? It's a failure to recognize him. It's always a failure to recognize Jesus. The disciples failed to recognize that he was going to do this. They didn't really believe that he had the power to conquer the grave. And much like that, many of us failed to believe that Jesus really does have power, that he really will conquer our, our sin in our life, that he really will take care of us and give us the best life if we trust in him, that we really will be with him for eternity. Many of us have problems with that. We fail to recognize the power of the resurrection. And I hope that that will change. Jesus says to them, he says, he says, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear that from God. Like, it, it, honestly, if, if someone said to me, if we were walking and someone said, foolish Dave, you're so slow of heart, I'd be like, I think you just insulted me. That was kind of messed up. <laughs> Why would you say that? That was kind of a jerky thing to say. <laughs> well, first of all, Jesus doesn't say it to be a jerk. He says it to reveal himself. He confronts us where we're at. Jesus always does that. He's always going to confront us right where we're at. But he refused to leave us there. He's going to bring us along. Like he did all every time with the disciples. Jesus, send them away. <laughs> There's too many people here. Hours late, we can't feed them. Take half a year's wages. <laughs> at the end of the night, they're all holding a basket full of food. Okay, I get it. The woman, caught, uh, the woman who was there at the well, the Samaritan woman who Jesus met, he said, go. I mean, she was kind of almost like flirting with Jesus. And Jesus says, go, call your husband, bring, bring him back here. Well, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had like four husbands. And the one man you're living with right now isn't your husband. And then she starts trying to divert the conversation. Okay, let's get off my sin. But no, Jesus targets it. And then he says, if you knew who was asking you for water, you'd be asking me. Because the, the water that I'll give will well up to streams of life, living water. Jesus refused to leave that woman, that Samaritan woman, the one who was hated by the Jews, the one who was in sin. He refused to leave her there. First, he was going to reveal himself. She tried to divert the conversation about worship. She tried to turn it into a, a, a worship wars, a conversation about where do we worship. Like, like many times, you know, I like that church, but I don't like their worship. Oh, you know, I, you know, this church over here has better worship. I, I was with uh, somebody one time at coffee recently, 
And they were talking about how worship's not good here. I, I, the churches do this, the churches do that. And I'm like, well, it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. We, we do that too. We don't want to be confronted with sin. So we're going to start talking about worship. And that's what she did. She starts talking about worship and she says, you know, you Jews say we got to worship at the temple. And by worship we mean do sacrifices. But we Samaritans, we worship on this mountain. That's where, that's where Jacob was. That's where we worship. And Jesus says, listen, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus revealed himself to her. Listen, if you really want to worship God, you're going to worship the true one and you're going to worship in spirit. You're going to have a spirit born of God, born anew, and, and be able to worship in that way. Jesus refil- refuses to leave. it. So what does he do? He gives them the best Bible study ever. They had seven miles to have a Bible study with Jesus Christ and go through the entire Old Testament. I'm going to do that tonight right now. We're going to start. <laughs> You're like, I'm out of here. <laughs> it's, just, it's getting hot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But seven miles of Bible study with Jesus. And just trust me, Jesus never made the word boring. So if I'm doing a bad job here, just know Jesus would do it rad. He would do it awesome. And by the way, we can bring that word back, rad. I'm working on that. The, the 80s are missing it. <laughs> so he, he starts explaining to them all the scriptures from Moses. Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman that's going to crush the serpent's head. Genesis 12.3, remember that promise to Abraham? Abraham, I'm going to bless you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, through your son, through your children, through your descendants. And who is that descendant? It's Jesus Christ. And then, of course, Balaam gives this prophecy when he's trying to prophesy against Christ. And Balaam in Numbers says that I see a star, a scepter in Judah. And he starts prophesying about this coming Messiah. Exodus, he's the Passover lamb spread over the doorpost, the blood that covers us, that allows death to pass over so that we ourselves don't die. And then, of course, Exodus has more. He's in the burning bush. We know that. We know that in Exodus, he, Jesus is the, the manna, that bread from heaven that sustains. He's the pillar of cloud and the fire by night. Jesus in Exodus is also that water from the rock, stricken for you and me that we might have life. Man, it's all there in the law. And of course, we know that the law shows us our need for a Savior because the fact is, is you and I cannot measure up to the law. I look at the law and I think of the IRS. I don't know about you. That's how I look at it. It's like, ugh, this is awful. <laughs> I don't like this. And I, and I can't do it. And uh, I, I stress out every year at taxes. Every year if I get a refund, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get audited for something. I, 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 it's just, it, that's what I see about the law. It just stresses me out because I cannot keep it. But that's why Jesus came. Because unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. How am I going to do that? Don't worry. I'm doing it for you, Jesus said. I'm taking care of it. So he begins to expound this. Isaiah 50 we start seeing that he, his beard will be pulled out, his face disfigured and marred beyond recognition. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions and for our iniquities. He was smitten. 
By his stripes we are healed. Psalm 22 says that they all look upon me, the one whom they have pierced. They cast lots for my clothing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hosea, Hosea, he's the one who restores. Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. Jesus is all through the Old Testament and the prophets. You know, every time God tells Israel he's going to judge them for sin, every single time, and a lot of us don't like to read probably some of the prophets because it seems like it's just all about judgment. But the thing is, is God never leaves it there. He always gives them the promise of the Messiah and the promise of of Christ's millennial reign. It's always there. God never just leaves them hanging saying, you're just done. No, he always says, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to call you back. And, and, And he's always begging for them to turn, turn from their sin now, but they won't do it. And so he tells them, and because you won't do it, I'm going to do this to you. You're going to go into judgment, but then this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to love you. I'm going to call you back. So Jesus has this incredible Bible study with them. And notice, though, foolish ones, slow of heart. Only a foolish person would ignore God's word. And right now you might feel that I'm offending you, and I don't mean to. I want God's word to offend you. So let's just read it. Oh, foolish one and slow of heart. Okay, there you go. So, but the thing is, is that for us to ignore God's word is so foolish because it is in this word that there is life. In this word, you're going to meet Jesus Christ. This word is drawing near to you and you have opportunity now to receive it. How foolish to reject it. The most important decision, the most important um, <clears throat> declaration you could ever make, the most important answer you could ever give is who is Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing in life. Everything else is going to fall under that. And, and for us to ignore it would be so foolish. For us to blow it off. For us to say that, well, you know, I, I like that whole Jesus stuff. I go on Easter and Christmas. But to ignore it, to not surrender a life is so foolish, especially when the resurrected Jesus is standing with them. Don't be slow of heart today. Don't do that. Let's look at verse um, 28. Let's go to verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening. And the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So they drawn into this village and, and what Jesus does is just a customary thing. Uh, you're never supposed to kind of invite yourself. So, so he's just kind of like, okay, guys, it was cool hanging out with you. I, I got to keep going. They're like, uh, it's getting late. You should come with us. And so, okay, I'm going with you. So, <laughs> so if we ever hang out, I'm going to do that to you. 
<laughs> no, <just kidding. laughs> so Jesus does this, and, and, and as he's with them, what does he do? He begins to bless the bread and break it, and they recognize him all of a sudden. Now, I, I think that Jesus was kind of disguising himself in them to, so that they would recognize him. They wouldn't just pay him lip service. It could be, though, that, that they were unwilling to recognize him. It could be that, that they just were so convinced that he was dead that they didn't want to recognize him. But it was at this point when he's breaking the bread that they go, whoa, now we know who you are, and then he's gone. Like, what? Where'd he go? But, um, you know, when we look at these things, I, I want to point this out to you. Jesus is revealing himself to you. Have, have you thought about who's the walking dead in this story anyway? It's not Jesus Christ. He's the living one. He's the resurrected one. It's the guys on the road. They're the walking dead. You and I, <clears throat> who don't know Jesus Christ, who haven't trusted in him for our salvation, you're the walking dead. I, I remember seeing that movie Green Mile about, you know, the guys sitting on death row, and every time they'd walk the Green Mile, they're dead man walking, and it's just like, I think it was in that movie, I don't know, it might have been another movie, but every time, they, they, it's like they got to announce it to everybody that this guy's going to the electric chair. To pay his price. It's like, you know, do you really have to announce it to everybody that I'm dead, as good as dead? And the fact is, is Ephesians tells us that we are dead in our sins and transgressions. It's not where do you hope to go, it's where you are going. <coughs> the fact is, you either have a place in hell reserved for you or you have a place in heaven. There's no other reservation. Where's your place reserved? Is it in hell? Well, I hope not. I hope I'm a good enough person. Listen, it's not about you being good. It's about Jesus Christ and you knowing him. They're the walking dead. They're the ones that need to receive him. It's not Jesus Christ. He's the one who lives. Notice that he disappears and what do they do? They immediately hurry back without delay. Wasn't it getting late that night? Yeah, it was. It was getting towards the evening. Don't go on, sir. Come with us, have dinner with us, and, and we'll just continue talking. Stay with us because it's getting late. But as soon as they realized that Jesus, the living one, the resurrected one was in their presence, what do they do? They go back to Jerusalem. They turn back around towards God. They were leaving Jerusalem defeated. Now they're running in victory. Back to the disciples. You know, it might be time for you to turn back without delay to turn back and run back towards God. Maybe you've been out there doing your own thing, rejecting him with parts of your life, but it's time for you to run back because the resurrected one, the living one, is drawing near to you. Notice that they say their hearts were burning within them. Their, their hearts were burning. Did, you, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked with them on the road? Now certainly there's a sense of a emotional fire burning within them, and an emotional response. But, you know, this word is not just emotional. This same word is used when, when Jesus teaches about no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. The whole idea of lighting something. Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever walks in him does not walk in darkness. John tells us he's the light of life. 
The burning in our hearts is more than just the emotional response. It's more than just like feeling good about Jesus. Because if it was left to us, just us feeling good, I mean, we fall in and out of love. We, we feel good about certain things and then next thing you know, we hate it or we don't care about it. My, uh, my daughter, Elise, years ago got an old iPod and uh, then she basically kicked it down to Claire and Claire had this old iPod. And in fact, it's still got the movie High School Musical 1 on it. And that's how old it And so, um, so then Claire had it for a while. And Claire got a, a new iPod at Christmas time. So she's like, I don't need this here. Well, they were cleaning their room the other day. And Lucy found this iPod. And Lucy thinks it's a phone. But nonetheless... Lucy found the iPod and she's like, this is the greatest thing ever. And Claire said, I could have it. She's so excited to have it. And she's like, so I'm leaving today for church this morning. And Claire was going with me. And she's like, Claire, don't forget to text me or call me later. And Lucy's like, and Claire's like, Lucy, I can't call or text you on that. And she's like, oh, okay, well, I'll text you then. You know, she has no concept about this old iPod. But she's, she just loves it. It's the best thing in the world to her right now. But that's how it was for Claire, and that's how it was for Elise at one time. But then it was no longer great. We do that all the time. When I was in high school, I'd, I had a girlfriend. I would talk to her for hours on the phone. That's before we had text. Like, talk, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I had to act like I cared, you know, if I hung up to so anyway, but, um, but it wasn't until I chose to love my wife. I chose to tell my wife, I, I love you and I'm going to love you. No matter what you say back to me, I love you. And, and, and from that day, it wasn't about my emotional response. It wasn't about how I felt about my wife, but it was about me choosing to love my wife. And every day since, it's about me choosing to love my wife. And that's why we have a good marriage. Because I choose to love my wife. I choose to lay down my, my life for her. I choose to, and I'm not just like a doormat for my wife. But she's doing the same thing for me. Which, and there, you know what? There's days when I don't feel tons of love towards her. But I choose to love her. Because the light turned on in me. The light the light turned on that said, no, this is the woman I want to marry. This is the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. That light turned on and there's no way I was going to let go of that. I was going to choose to love her. Listen, their hearts burned within them. If that light has turned on that you know this is true, then you will choose to believe in Jesus Christ. You will choose to walk with him. You will choose to love him because he first loved you. That's what you, your response needs to be. That's my challenge to you tonight. Let's pray and thank God for his resurrection. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for the power that you defeated the grave. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you that you have done this work. Lord, I thank you that it's not left up to me because I would certainly screw it up. But God, I thank you that you've done this. Lord, help me to love you. Help me to spend time with you and grow in the knowledge of you. I want to be your servant, and I want to be with you all of my days. And I, I, I pray right now for anyone in this room, 
if, if the light is turned on for you, if your heart is burning within you, you're ready to say, I need to follow Jesus. You pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, save me. It's time for me to either return or start this new relationship with you. I'm ready to run back in victory to you, God, to turn away from my life, turn away from sin, and turn towards you. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to follow you. I want to be born again. We just thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you've done the work. Accept our offering now of worship and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.